The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back to the Super Sunday Spectacular on WGBB here in snowy, beautiful downtown Merrick, Long Island. Checking the Super Bowl score in case you're out shoveling snow. I believe it's 28 to 9. You got that, Brian? <laughs> yeah. 28 to 9, Tampa Bay. Hey, hey, Tampa Bay. Well, our next guest, he played college ball for his hometown, St. John's University, which, of course, was then called the Redmen. At St. John's, he won the John Wooden Award, the Big East Men's Basketball Player of the Year Award, plus the USBWA College Player of the Year Award in 1986. He averaged 23 points and 11.1 rebounds per game. He's nicknamed the Truth, also the second-leading scorer, on the great St. John's 1985 Final Four team. Pleasure to welcome to the show tonight, Walter Berry. Walter, good evening. Good evening. How are you? Oh, it's great to have you with us. I, I don't know where you're at, Walter, but it's a terrible night here on Long Island. <laughs> okay, I'm in Georgia. We, our weather been pretty good here. Yeah, you're doing all right. I wouldn't complain, but, uh, yeah, we had another sto- snowstorm here today. Got about another six inches, so, ah. Uh, uh, what did the groundhog say? Do you know what he said, Brian? Six more weeks of winter. There we go. So, ah, uh, I've had it though, Walter. I've had it. Now, let me ask you, Walter. Uh, you're from New York, of course. You went to Benjamin Franklin High School. Who were your favorite players and teams when you were a youngster? NBA teams or college or what? Both. Yeah, give us both. Oh, college teams. I always liked the North Carolina. I was a fan of. North Carolina Tar Heels. I was a fan, of course, St. John's growing up. Uh-huh. And NBA, I was always a 76ers fan because I've always loved Dr. J. We had him on the program a couple of weeks ago. What a great man. And, boy, do I remember him here with the Nets. What a great time that was. Now, how did you get the nickname The Truth, Walter? Believe it or not, Mark Jackson gave me that name. Okay. Because all of the press, when when we first started with preseason, all the press was asking, "Hey, who's uh, who's Walter Berry?" And Mark Jackson, they were asking him. He said, "Walter's the truth," and that's how that name came about. Okay, yeah, the great Mark Jackson. So uh, that's an interesting story, Walter. Now. You had a great career at San Jacinto. That that's a place where a lot of guys have gone and springboarded in, back into uh, four-year schools. We recently had Ollie Taylor on the show, who is also a great New York Net, and he uh, came from San Jacinto. Tell us about your time there in in junior college. Oh, uh, my time there was great. You know, Ronnie Allen was one of the best coaches I've ever played for. Mm-hmm. And it was just a great experience going there playing junior college basketball. I was player of the year there. I got all the MVPs. Everything was beautiful. I mean, I just set all the records. Believe it or not, nobody there broke none of my records. And they had great players. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, good, 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 uh, 
great accomplishment there. Now, you went on to St. John's, and the, it was a magical place back then. You had Coach Lou Carnesecca, the great crowds at Alumni Hall. Let's talk about your time back at St. John's. My time at St. John's was that two years I spent at St. John's, I was home. Right. And people don't understand that when you play at home, it's a beautiful thing because you're playing in front of your family, your close friends, and just people you love. So it was great. What was the difference, Walter? You played in Alumni Hall, which is a, a pretty intimate arena there on campus, and then you'd go up to the Carrier Dome and play uh, against Syracuse, and they'd set a new college record every time they took the court. What were some of the differences between playing in those two buildings? It was it was harder to play there in Syracuse. That was just one hard place to play. I don't know why the atmosphere was totally different, uh-huh. but it was totally different. And, you know, I got a, a chance to play with my good friend, against my good friend Pearl Washington, right? who, you know, is deceased as of now. Mm-hmm. Great player, Pearl Washington. Now, of course, great rivalry, really, between St. John's and, and Syracuse. I remember when I was in college, they, they had the Louie and Bowie show with Louie Orr and Roosevelt Bowie, uh, St. John's, uh, guys like you, uh, Wennington. It, it was really a, a tough, 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 uh, relationship between those two clubs. Now, right now, Walter Berry is the best player in our league. He's the most intimidating player we've played against. The way he's playing, he's almost unstoppable. That came from Roy Chipman, who was the head coach at another Big East team at Pitt. Uh, do you remember him saying that about you? I remember that. I definitely remember that. Yeah. I remember that really well. Nice thing to say, really, and all of it true. We're speaking with Walter Berry tonight on Sports Talk New York. Let's talk a little bit about the Hall of Famer, Chris Mullen. How was it playing with him? Not the biggest guy, but he could bury the jumper, and he had game, didn't he? Chris Mullen was a great player. We all know that. And he made my job easier at St. John's because... They didn't know who to guard. They couldn't put two on him because I would score a bunch of points. So I think, you know, we were both lefties, and I think a lot of people don't don't remember or understood that at the time. But we were hard to guard, and he made my job just so much easier. And that was one of the reasons why I came to St. John's. Right, okay. Now, you were a leader on that St. John's team. How did your situation in your own personal life, Walter, teach you to be more serious on the court? My personal life was always good because I was striving to be great. Right. So once I got on the court, it was just, it went to a whole nother level. Now, when you were drafted by Portland, you didn't sign with them. Why didn't you want to go to the Trailblazers, Walter? I spoke to general manager and the Portland Trailblazers people. I told them not to draft me at the 14th pick mm-hmm. because I knew Utah had the 15th pick. So that's where I kind of wanted to go. And they drafted me anyway. And I we had talked about it with my agent and everybody, and we told them, 
not to draft me at the number 14 pick, and they did anyway. Yeah, and, and uh, th- that's for sure. Now, they ended up trading you to San Antonio. Now, what was your career like in San Antonio? My career started in San Antonio. You know, I led the team in scoring two years in a row, and I was on my way to greatness yeah, you certainly were. Uh, what was the the deal with Larry Brown? You had a little difficulty with Coach Brown. Hey, Larry Brown tried to recruit me out of junior college to come to Kansas, and I was already set to go to St. John's. He came up to my school every single day trying to change my mind about coming to Kansas, and I was all set to go to St. John's. So I told him in a nice way, hey, Listen, I I'm gonna stay home and play home in front of my family and friends. Mm-hmm. It's nothing personal. And once he became the coach of San Antonio, it was almost like, you know, hindsight twenty twenty. He was like, Well, you know, Walter, uh, you didn't come to Kansas, so maybe we gotta trade you. And I said, That's fine too. Yeah, right. A lot of people don't know that story, but that's the story behind Larry Brown and me once he, he got to San Antonio as the head coach. But, you know, it's weird because you trade a guy that's your leading score. I, I never understood that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a little strange, Walter, exactly. Well, th- things like that crop up in, in the world of basketball, and uh, you dealt with it okay. But uh, why did you move on to Europe? I think Europe was a was a good fit for me. You know, I wanted to yeah, you had venture success. out and try yeah. something new. The NBA was great. The NBA was fantastic. But I wanted to try something new. A team came and offered me a deal to come there, and I, I decided to try. And, you know, would expect to see to come back and play back in the NBA. But once I got to, to Greece or, and Italy and Spain and them good places I played, I decided to just stay and finish my career out there. And you had great success there, didn't you? Yes. I mean, you know, it was, I, I averaged almost 25 to 30 points every game. I mean, I had a couple of 50 point games there. It, it, it worked out well for me. Yes, it did. We're speaking with Walter Berry tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now we talked about Larry Brown. Who was the best coach that you played with throughout your career? Well, in the NBA, my best coach was um, Bob Weiss at San Antonio Spurs. Uh, okay. That was one of my best coaches I've had in the NBA. Don Chaney was pretty good also, but if I had to give it to anybody, it was, it was Bobby Weiss. And, of course, Coach Lou. Oh, in college, of course, it was Conaseca and my junior college coach, Ronnie Arrow. Mm-hmm. Them guys were very, very good with me as far as putting me in the right places to you know, perform. Right, yeah, and uh, you can't argue with, with Coach Karnaseka in the Hall of Fame, uh, famous for his sweaters and his great teams at St. John's. W- what a man. Did he teach you a little bit about life as well, Walter? Oh, yeah, off the court, he taught me a whole lot. He, Coach Karnaseka became like, you know, a father to me Yeah, while I was at St. John's. And, you know, he took me like a son, and and that was something special for me. And night in and night I got on the court, I just wanted to win. And that you did, Walter, that's for sure. Now, who was your best teammate uh, throughout your career? 
Uh, you played with a lot of great guys. Who who was your buddy? NBA or college? Give us both. That's fine. In the NBA, I, I became friends with Clyde Drexler. He was one of my good friends. Oh yeah. Johnny Dawkins was one of my good friends. And and in and in college, you know, Shelton Jones and Mark Jackson, them guys were my friends too. Willie Glass, them we were we were very close. There's some great names we're throwing out there tonight, Walter. I'll tell you, it brings back a lot of memories. A lot of memories of some great St. John's teams, that's for sure. What was the most... Ne- Go ahead, Walter. I'm sorry. I'll never forget those moments. Trust me. Yeah. And all of those guys, when I talk to them, they always tell me, Walter, why you don't write a book on your life? I think it'll be good because you, you played in the NBA, you played in Europe. People want to know what happened because a lot of people don't know what happened, why I decided to leave the NBA and go to Europe right. and why I didn't come back. So these are questions that need to be told one day. They will, and I'm sure you will. I'm sure there will come, come a time when you'll see the, the uh, right time to write that book, Walter, and uh, we'll definitely have you on to talk about it. What was the most memorable moment uh, of your NBA career, Walter? Uh, when I when I came up against Portland Trailblazers, oh, that boy. was one memorable night that I'm never f- going to forget because Mike Shula didn't like me at all. I don't know what was his problem with me, but he. But once I got traded and San Antonio played against Portland Trailblazers, I remember scoring probably 28, 29 points, and. I was going one after another, and he was running up down the sidelines, yelling the coach. Uh, Mike Shula was running up and down the coach. He walked. He did this and was trying to deter the ref. Yeah. And I just, you know, I was in the zone that night. Yeah. And uh, wow, very distracting. That, that I could say. What about uh, your college career at St. John's? What's the most memorable moment you have from that part of your career? That's 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 an easy one. When we beat Georgetown, that oh, yeah. was one of the memorable moments of my whole career. I got on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah. That was something special for me. How many of those Sports Illustrated did you have in the house? I probably had about two thousand of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I got I got a couple of them blowed up poster size. Oh man, yeah, nice. Well, not too many guys are on the cover of SI, that's for sure, Walter. What, what, are you hey, doing? what are you doing these days? Right now, I'm retired. Um, I'm, uh, I'm into real estate. I'm doing, I got a lot of business. I got my CBD business. I'm involved with the CBD business. Mm-hmm. That's doing really well. You could go to truthandwellness.com and, and check my business out. Um, the CBD Truth and wellness business is what I'm into now. Nice, and and tell us how that works. What what does it work for, and uh, how how do you use CBD? CBD, they come in gummy forms, they come in cream, and they come in drops. And I'm gonna explain the gummies first. The gummies are something that if you're having problems sleeping, you got stress. Any of this stuff, the gummies take all of that away, and you can get a great night's sleep with the CBD gummies. And it takes stress off you also. And the drops does the same thing. And the cream 
is more so pain cream. Like if you got you got some your knees are bothering you, your back is bothering you, you put some of this cream on your back, I tell you in a couple of hours, you feeling like a new man and, and I'm a I've used this I use this stuff also and I believe in it because it works for me. After all them years of playing basketball, I got knee pain, back pain. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I'm an advocate of this product, CBD, and it works great. Sounds good. Where can the people get that from me again, Walter? Give us that uh, that website. It's online. It's Truth and Wellness. Truth and Wellness. Is that A-N-D, Truth and Wellness? Truth Wellness. Okay. Truth Wellness. Dot co. Truth Wellness dot co. Not gotcha. com. Co. Okay. C-O. We got it. All right, Walter. Anything else you want to tell the folks up here in New York? Hey, I miss y'all in New York. Y'all was some great fans, great friends, and, and a lot of good people around New York in them days. And I hope I hope everybody's blessed, and I hope everybody stays safe with this COVID-19. Yeah, thanks, Walter. And uh, we're going to be looking out for that book in the future, Walter. That's for sure. I think okay. you do a great job with that. It, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time out of your Sunday night to spend some of it with us up here in snowy New York. We thank you, Walter. Stay well. Okay, thank you, and take care. That's Walter Berry, ladies and gentlemen. We'll take a quick break and be right back right after this. All right, folks, we're back with Sports Talk New York tonight on our Super Sunday Spectacular. I'm looking at a score that says 31-9 to in the fourth quarter here, going into the fourth quarter. Unbelievable, the, the job that Brady's been doing in Tampa Bay down there. I just want to mention to you folks about the Hall of Fame election this year where nobody was elected. Kurt Schilling came close. He wants to be taken off the ballot for 2022. Uh, he's obviously got problems with the media. He's got problems with social media. We know that. Uh, just before we bring Larry Thomas on onto the show, I want to uh, read over the 2022 eligibles, new folks on the ballot for 2022. We got Carl Crawford, Prince Fielder, Ryan Howard, Tim Lincecum, Joe Nathan, David Ortiz. There's an interesting name. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another uh, alleged steroid user with 541 career home runs coming up for election. Jonathan Papelbon, Jake Peavy, A.J. Przinsky. Another one, another controversial name coming up for election, A-Rod. Alex Rodriguez, three-time American League MVP, over 600 home runs, 696, almost 700 home runs. And this guy's going to have trouble because of his steroid use. Jimmy Rollins. And Mark Teixeira. Uh, interesting names, as I said. Are they Hall of Famers? Not all of them. But uh, it's amazing that no one was elected this year. It really tells you, it speaks to uh, Kurt Schilling's politics, his use of social media, uh, the alleged steroid use of Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, how voters are really continue to stay away from them i think their their voting totals dropped since last year and uh 
not looking good for either one of them. Next year is their final year on the ballot. I'd like to see, I'm anxious to see this summer, how the induction is handled in Cooperstown. As of now, they're going ahead with the plan of having the usual ceremony, as I call it, the Woodstock for baseball, out at the Clark Sports Center with just thousands of people sitting out there listening to the Hall of Fame speeches. But, again, that remains to be seen. Again, 31-9 to the score in the Super Bowl. Uh, snowy WGBB is where you're at. We are going to take a quick break and be back with Larry Thomas, the Soup Nazi. Hang with us, folks. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. Okay, folks, we're back with Sports Talk New York here on our Super Sunday Spectacular on WGBB. Uh, I'd like to thank you for joining us on this snowy evening, snowy cold uh, things are going to get chillier out there. If you're out on the roads, watch out for the black ice. Watch out for the hammerheads that are coming from parties. Be careful with that. Uh, we were supposed to bring you Dwayne Betts uh, on the show this evening. I had a, a message from their manager, uh, the Almond Betts Band, that uh, Dwayne would not be able to appear with us tonight. So we'll try to get that set up uh, for another evening. You know how rock stars are. Very unpredictable. And uh, let's keep the memories rolling along tonight. Our next special guest, he is best known for his guest role as the Soup Nazi on Seinfeld. He was nominated for Emmy Award for that. He makes numerous personal appearances at, at the, as the Soup Nazi. He's appeared in a number of films, TV shows, and commercials. And you can catch him at autograph signing shows across the country. Pleasure to welcome to the show tonight, Larry Thomas. Larry, good evening. Hey, how are you? Great to have you with us, uh, Larry. As I said, snowy up here in New York, uh, probably balmy out there where, where you are out in L.A. Uh, I wish we had it here. <laughs> I know. I, I wish I could uh, gift it to you guys. It was a nice 70-degree <laughs> day. Ah, killer, killer. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we spoke... Uh, Offline about people with New York roots, I mentioned to you that no nobody really realized that Steve Garvey uh, had Long Island roots. But you're originally from Brooklyn. Yes. Yes. But I think most of the time I was growing up there, I was in Long Island. There was uh, we we went right to Westbury from Brooklyn when I was really little, and then. Uh, we ended up moving to Queens, to Regal Park, but just like 63 to 65 when mm-hmm. it was the coolest place on earth, you know, World's <laughs> Fair, yeah, right. new baseball team, you know, stadium, the Beatles played there. But then we moved back to uh, Roslyn Heights, 
Ah, for yeah, back to the, the Gold Coast. Not as cool up there, Larry, as as you were in, in Queens, that's for sure. Now, you had jobs in the past. You were a bartender, a janitor, and a bail bondsman. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that was that was um, a great job for an aspiring actor to have. Yeah, I would just you know go around to the different courts and I would I would uh, research court cases, keep records. Once in a while, go into court and like surrender somebody if their family wanted that. And then you know they would uh, I'd get phone calls in the middle of the night because uh, bail bondsmen didn't want to like get out of bed and go post a bond, so they would pay me a little extra to to go post it for them. So I didn't work full time as a bail bondsman, but I was uh, um, working for the surety company, and I would you know post bonds on my own time and stuff so uh it was it was mostly a a research job but every once in a while you know there would be something like you got to go to pomona court and surrender a guy his family doesn't want uh <laughs> yeah to be responsible anymore and you know i'd have to walk in and state my name and then a bailiff would put handcuffs on the guy and he'd look at me like I'm gonna kill you. Thanks for nothing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I go, well, I did just state my name, so better watch my back. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, oh man, that that, but, that is tremendous. Now, what acting did you do before the Seinfeld role? Probably about eighteen years of um, theater in L.A. We used to call it beg, borrow, and steal theater because. In L.A., people don't go to the theater like they do in New York, you know. No. In L.A., you do a play, and you got four people in the audience. So, But, um, you know, we would just do, you'd find any space, you'd get a play. Sometimes i write the play. And we just, you know, you just kept busy. And uh, But making the break from doing that to getting into, like, a TV show or, you know, a big-time movie... Because back in those days, there weren't little independent movies, you know? No. It's like now every everybody's doing a movie with their iPhone. But back <laughs> in those days, you know, you'd have to pretty much get into a studio film. And it was really difficult. I mean, I, I made a, a film, um, like, while I was still in college in 79, called Terror on Tour, which unfortunately is on YouTube right now, but okay. uh, I I can't even tell people to watch it to get a laugh out of it because one reviewer called it not even funny bad. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> it was my it was my first film, but um, you know, it's just about eighteen, fifteen to eighteen years of kicking around doing theater and whatever and. Um, I luckily uh, was in an acting workshop that Jeffrey Tambor was in, and he was also the ass uh, assistant teacher. And, um, you know, my friends in class at told me to ask him to introduce me to the casting director of the Larry Sanders show, who was also casting Seinfeld, mm -hmm. and he did. And um, that's how I ended up getting called in for that part, and then I ended up, booking it and everything kind of changed yeah yeah j just that one spot of course changed your life now tell us about your audition uh, was larry david at, at the first audition that you did 
Um, not nobody at the first audition. It was just me and the casting assistant. Okay. Um, and then I got the call back, and uh, everybody was at that audition. But you have to remember that at that time, uh, in season seven, nineteen ninety-five, nobody really knew what Larry David looked like. No. So <laughs> yeah. we we saw his name, you know, flash across the screen every episode, you know, with Jerry's. But nobody knew what he looked like, and we didn't know that he was the voice of Steinbrenner. We didn't know that, you know, he uh, did certain voices in and out of the through the series, and he was the guy in the cape. So when I when I walked into that room, it was a very long room, and there were a lot of people sitting in couches and stuff. That, you know, they were writers and producers and stuff. But at the end of the room were two desks, like you know, facing each other, like dueling pianos, you know. Yeah. And Jerry was at one of them, and Larry was at the other one, but I didn't know that that was Larry David. But I knew Jerry, you know. <laughs> I mean, I saw him, and it's kind of like, whoa. It's, you know, and he immediately goes like, hey, how are you doing, man? And, uh, yeah. But I didn't want to break character, you know. Um, a great actress, Sherry North, once told me, you know, if you've got an extreme character part, don't like start talking in your own voice and stuff because, you know, you'll you'll break their. Point, uh, yeah, people may not know Sher Sherry North was Kramer's mother. Yep, she and, yeah. and she coincidentally ended up playing Babs Kramer, which was yeah. really funny. <laughs> but she had given me that advice, so you know, I was in this army uniform that I auditioned in. Because that's how I saw the character. I, I thought soup Nazi. He probably like wears his old army uniform, you know, and serves <laughs> soup. And so I walked in like that, and Jerry said hi to me. So I just kind of looked over at him and went like, ah, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and then we just launched into it, and um, I didn't even look because I had read three scenes in the first audition. And I figured that's all there was, you know. I mean, I didn't think I would get called in for a part that was any bigger than that. Mm -hmm. And so I read through the first three scenes, and Jerry was laughing his head off. I mean, you know, at everything I said and did. And I realized that there was more material that I'd never seen, but I figured I'm not going to stop now. I'm, I'm just going to keep rolling with it. You sure. know, at the, in those days, my vision was good enough to just, you know, read what was on the paper. And um, so I did the second three scenes, ice cold, but he kept laughing, and I thought, this is great, you yeah, know? Yeah, But the only problem was is that I was reading against Richard Libertini, who I recognized as soon as I walked into the hallway, and I thought, you know, I probably don't have much chance of actually getting this job with someone like him there. And uh, so... Um, they told me to sit outside and wait, and then uh, they called me back in about 20 minutes later, and Jerry said to me, he goes, you know, I thought it was really funny, but I, I don't understand why your character's so mean. Could you do it again and maybe make him a little bit nicer, you know? And I'm thinking, what? Why? Yeah, Like, exactly. he's a soup Nazi, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I tried to do it that way, and, and it was like crickets, you know, total quiet, no yeah. laughs anywhere and uh i thought okay well that's that you know i don't have it i'll get to watch richard libertini doing it and i walked out and and they said 
don't leave, you know. And so I sat for like another 20 minutes, and then the casting director came out and he said, okay, you could, you can go. And I had overheard him telling the, uh, Yul Vasquez and John Paragon, the armoire thieves, I overheard <laughs> him telling them that they were cast and that they were going right to work that day at uh, 1 p.m. The street So tops. when he told me yeah. to go home, I pr pretty well figured out ah, I don't have it, you know. And I was on my way off the lot, and I had this warehouse agent that, you know, every time he called me, he'd have to tell me who he was. You know, <laughs> it's like, I, I know who you are, man. Yeah. You know, but he never sent me out on anything, you know. I got requested for that role because I had met the casting person. But um, they, they, he paged me before I got off the lot, and I went to a payphone, and he just said, they hired you. And I'm going, what? Why? Wow. You know, and yeah. I went onto the soundstage, and Jerry saw me walk in, and he ran over to me, and he said, hey, you know, forget about the direction I gave you. You know, just do what you did when you came in. I, I guess the meaner the funnier. Yeah. And, and that was that. I mean, I, I pretty well played it the same way, except a couple of suggestions from... Uh, um, uh, Larry David, a couple of suggestions from the director, Andy Ackerman. But, you know, Larry changed a couple of things after the audience left. I didn't originally say adios, muchacho, to the Spanish guy, <laughs> and Larry wanted me to do that. But since the actor was not there, I got to play that scene with Larry David. It's just you don't know that. Uh. But I'm actually talking to him, not not the guy they cut back to. Ah. And because um, people ask me, did you ever, have you ever acted with Larry? And I, I always get to say, yes, I did. You yeah. just don't know it. <laughs> no one's ever going to see it. And uh, and then he uh, he wanted me to add something to where when uh, Julia goes, does the Al Pacino impression. Yeah. Uh, wow. Originally, I just yelled, <laughs> no soup for you. But uh, he wanted to change that to very good, very good. You know what? What? No soup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and when it I did that, did that with her the first time, she fell on the floor laughing. <laughs> oh, what 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 great stories! We're, we're talking to Larry Thomas tonight on the broadcast. Now, uh, were there any improvs, Larry? Uh, like you're pushing your luck, little man. Was that script? No, that was. I read every line that was in the script that was written by Spike Ferriston, except the only thing I did that wasn't in the script was there was a line, come back in one year. And I dropped the in. I just said, come back one year. Yeah, right. And everybody laughed and kind of, Jerry and Larry would always be standing there whispering to each other, which was kind of, uh, unnerving. Unnerving, yeah. <laughs> but um, that after doing that, you know, Jerry went, "Okay, yeah, do keep keep that in." So my only ad lib was not to make up a line, but drop a word. Now, now the, uh, uh, the the girl at the register, Larry, was spot on. She she played that tremendously. You know that twelve or fourteen years later. When I did that Acura Super Bowl spot with Jerry in 2012, right? Um, he actually asked me. He said, "You know, man, I've always wondered something. Maybe you know more about it than I do." The the girl that was at the register with you, 
I don't remember casting her. I don't remember that <laughs> casting call. And I, you know, I oversaw all the auditions and uh, the callbacks. And I said, that's because you didn't cast her. She was an extra. Uh, goes, what? Yeah. And I said, yeah, pretty good, huh? <laughs> I yeah. said, I'm always telling people, you know, who she was because the timing was like Danny Kaye, you know? Oh, yeah. And it was amazing. Wonderful. And even Jerry wondered that all those years later. He said, she was so good. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you know, the only problem was it cost her a job because after playing that role, she can no longer come and just be an extra anymore on the show. Right. She'd because be recognized. She, she stood out yeah. too much. So she didn't get actors billing, but, you know, it, she had to not go on Seinfeld anymore. So it was, but she was, she's like the unsung hero of that scene. You know, she was <laughs> yeah. so brilliant. Her name was Marcia and she was from Brazil. That's all I knew. And, Interesting. Uh, there you go, folks. A little tidbit. Well, the, yeah, the characters... Marcia, the, comic genius the, the characters that i'm intrigued by and i believe it was their first appearance on the episode we spoke about them a little bit before cedric and bob with the armoire the, these guys <laughs> tremendous as as kramer calls them the street toughs and uh I, yeah. I believe we spoke via email once larry and you told me that when the guy went in to read for that part he read it that particular way and he came out and said they're never going to give it to me yeah, he, he thought, because that was Yul Vasquez, and he had mostly done dramatic stuff. He was always playing some kind of like a, you know, a drug kingpin or a Latin military person or whatever. And so the part, as it was written, um, and I think it was a suggestion from Larry David to Spike to make them gay. You know, he originally had just had these two armoire thieves. Yeah. And, uh, um, but it wasn't in the script that Yule would would have that Cuban kind of lisping gay Cuban accent. Right. And he threw that in, and he just thought he was way over the top when he came out of the audition. He was going, oh, man, they're, they're not going to cast me. I just, yeah. like, totally was bouncing off the walls in there. And uh, little did he know that they loved it and, you know... They cast the casting director because you know usually in the world of of of, of like big time acting TV movies stuff like that they don't tell you that you got cast they need to call your agent first make sure you're going to accept the fee you know that kind of thing so for for uh, the casting person to just go up to them and say okay you guys are cast you know, go to Soundstage 9 at 1 o'clock, uh -huh. it's pretty rare. They must have really, really liked those guys. And uh, easily seen why. I mean, they they appeared in, I think, one or two extra episodes. And, uh, you two know, more, yeah. do, you, do you know what you're talking about? Because I don't think you know what you're talking about. I mean, <laughs> the, was the so guys funny. were great. And, you know, the, the other guy, John Paragon, he was Jambi on Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> Th and I recognized that. him. Yeah, yeah, I recognized him immediately in the hallway. I thought, "Oh my God, it's Jambi!" You know, yeah. and uh, but we didn't. You know, the the bummer was we didn't get to work together because their scenes were all on the on the New York Street, and I was inside the studio. Um, they built the soup stand like it literally was tacked on the side of Jerry's living room. 
Ah, okay, interesting. You know, and yeah. the left on the left end of Jerry's living room, on the other side of that wall is where they built the soup stand, and then they put a mural at the end um, of of like a street with cars parked and stuff, and they parked a couple of cars there and they lit it like it was outside, but it was really deep inside the soundstage. Interesting. And uh, yeah, and Andy Ackerman says in the special material for the DVD, mm-hmm. he goes, if you look real closely at the very end, you could see the mural curling up at the bottom. <laughs> I'm going to have to look for that now. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, tell us a little bit, Larry, about working with uh, Mike Myers and Robert Wagner as the blackjack dealer in uh, International Man of Mystery. Well, you know, what's funny about that is um, people always ask me about the soup Nazi, and they say, how do you keep a straight face? And I always say, well, I didn't have any trouble in, in that thing, keeping a straight face. But when I did Austin Powers, it was so hard because Mike <laughs> Myers, you know, would keep making funny faces at you, you know. And I was trying so hard not to laugh because he was so funny looking. You know, I'd never, nobody had ever seen the Austin Powers, uh, costuming and makeup, you know, and wig and all that stuff. And so he'd keep making these funny faces at me every time I, so I was trying not to look at him. You know, I think if you watch the scene knowing that and watch like me, I continually like look down or look away because I just don't want to see him because he was making me laugh. But, uh, it was a great night. It was about, 12 hours, I think, and um, we started at midnight, or 9 hours, midnight to about 9 a.m., and um, it was just, you know, Robert Wagner was so cool, he was telling stories about the Rat Pack and and stuff like that, and hanging out in Vegas back in the 50s, and, oh wow, you know, yeah, it was just so interesting just listening to him, and uh, we just had so much fun fun it was just really a blast and um at the end of it all they realized that there was too much noise to use the soundtrack so we all got rehired to go into a studio in la and dub our voices over again so if you watch that scene again watch everybody's mouth because every line in that scene was re-looped I'll have to check and, that uh, out too. They just made sure we got it perfect. They kept us there yeah. till we got it exact. And, uh, I think I hadn't done that. Well, I've done it once. I think I had one time I had gotten hired to dub like a Filipino ninja movie into English. <laughs> but in that particular job, you couldn't be perfect because it was a different language. But in Austin Powers, we had to be perfectly matched. And, uh, it was great because you got got to have another day of fun, you know, working on the same project. Sure. The only the, the only negative thing was Mike had written a line for my character right after I say to Robert Wagner, "You have seventeen, sir." I said, "The book says not to," and uh, uh, the director Jay Roach loved that line, and so in the looping session, we went over it like for a half an hour he said now say it as if like you guys are in league with each other okay now say it as if you know the book is your bible and whatever and he made me say it like 
20 different ways. And then at the screening, he came up to me in the lobby before we saw the movie, and he said, hey, I want to tell you something because I don't want you to get surprised. And he goes, I had to cut out that line. And I went, oh, why? And he just goes, well, you know, when we were editing, we realized that we needed a straight man in the scene, and it had to be you. And that line was, like, just too out there, you know? And so there was this great line, the book says not to. And I'll I'll never get to know, like, what take he would have kept, you know? Oh, great uh, story. Great stories, folks. I told you now. Does it ever get old, Larry? And by the, by, does it, I mean the soup Nazi. Do, I mean, how many times a day do you say it? Well, you know, I do video greetings. Oh, yeah, the know, cameo. cameo yeah, and, I want you to tell the folks about that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's a, a site called Celeb VM, uh, as in uh, voice message. And there's a site called Memo Me. And then there's one called cameo that's probably the most popular one but i i tend to do a couple of those or more every day pretty much seven days a week wow so so i'm saying no soup for you to the point where my neighbors are going crazy (laughs) you know like i'm getting text messages from my downstairs neighbors saying like can you please like you know Quiet that down. My daughter's trying to sleep. <laughs> so everybody doesn't. Everybody doesn't love that line. <laughs> yeah. But but, how about on the street? People. I mean, they they gotta bug you all the time. Well, not often. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I I run every morning and I run around my neighborhood and now I'm doing it with a mask on so nobody knows who I am, but. You know, like every month, once a month or something, some people would be out like in front of a house and they'd go, hey, the soup Nazi, you know, or something. But not a lot of people make the connection. If if I'm like in regular clothes, it's like, you know, they're looking for the chef's costume. Yeah. to, To make the connection. So, you know, it happens once in a while. And sometimes like I'm in a real hurry and I... Like, I don't have time to, to, to like talk to somebody. And so sometimes somebody will go like, you look like the soup Nazi. And I'll go, yeah, I get that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause I know if I say I am, then they're going to ask me questions and like, you know, sometimes you're in a rush to get somewhere and you, you stop in a store really quickly thinking, okay, I could get this errand done, you know. Right. Yeah. And, but you really need to get in and get out fast. Yeah, so. life, life doesn't allow for no soup for you all the time, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, but it's really, you know, in L.A., it, you know, people might recognize me and not say anything at all because, you know, they're used to, I mean, in all of our, like, local supermarkets, you'll talk to people and they'll go, oh, yeah, Clint Eastwood was in here yesterday doing his shopping and, you know. Yeah. So they're... um here they're kind of used to seeing faces from film and TV. I, I had the stores. same experience, Larry. I used to work in the West Village, and uh, I'd take a walk at lunchtime and constantly running into people and say, "Oh, look over there! It's uh, what's her name? Uh, Tim Robbins' uh, girlfriend, uh, Susan Sarandon. You know, something like that." There goes Monica Lewinsky. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. 
Now, yeah, you know, New York, New York is that way too. Uh, I, I worked for, um, a company that, that didn't last called the original soup man. And they were also running the uh, original soup stand. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of doing appearances and stuff for them. So I would actually spend time inside, you know, Ali Agane's old soup stand, um, between like 2016 and 2018, I think maybe some time in there. And I'd actually spend time there and we'd have, you know, tourists and stuff that would be glad to see me there. But you'd also have like actors, you know, from very, very famous actors come up to get soup that were much more, you know, famous than I was. Mm -hmm. So yeah, New York's another place that, you know, people are kind of used to seeing famous people. I mean, you know, New York's the place when you could, where you could see Paul McCartney walking down the street, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So. Well, Larry, I tell you, we had a lot of fun. I thank you for visiting with us up here in New York. Uh, I wish you the best. Give us a website, any, any other, uh, address you can, you can for the folks to yeah, get the in great, touch. Yeah, the great, my, my website, it's, it's simply realsoupnazi.com. Just R E L S O U P N A Z I, and um, with from there everything is up there. You could you could do, get cameos. You could find my YouTube channel. Um, the songs that I've written and recorded are on there. So everything nice. I do goes on there. So that's the best place. Nice. You pick. I'm sure you got autograph photos out there, right? People can pick up. Yeah, and you, there's a little store where you could buy stuff. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Larry, I would be lax, and a lot of people would jump on me if I didn't ask you. <laughs> you want me to say, no soup for you. That's it. There we go. <laughs> My engineer just <laughs> fell off the chair. All right. <laughs> all right, Larry. I'm lucky it's all, before 10. So. All, yeah, all the best, and uh, we'll talk Thank to you, you down the road. Take care. Okay, thanks. Good talking to you. Same here, Larry. That's Larry Thomas, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that'll do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York, the Super Sunday Spectacular for 2021. I'd like to thank my guests, Greg Everett, Miles Runsdorf, Walter Berry, and, of course, Larry Thomas, my engineer, Brian Graves, and thank you for joining us. I'll see you next week at 8 o'clock. Watch for the guest list during the week. Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue, wishing you a good evening, folks. Views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.